Diversity in Action podcast presented by the BLX Internship Program. Join us as our hosts, Emlyn Miles Mattingly and Louise Rosa interview guests from across the financial planning field to highlight the real change that's happening in our industry. If you're tired of just talking about diversity and want to learn about what's really being done to make the demographics of our profession more closely match the population of this country, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by Capstone. Capstone is a global alternative investment management firm operating across a broad range of derivatives-based strategies with a deep understanding of volatility. For more information, visit capstoneco.com. Welcome back to the Diversity in Action podcast with your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly and Luis Rosa. Today, we are ready to rock. It's going to be a great show today. I hope you guys are excited about this. We have some two guests today that we been looking forward to, and I want to throw this over to Luis to get some of the housekeeping items out of the way, but I am pumped to have these two people on the show today. Thank you, Emlyn. Same here. Super excited. This episode is really what the BLX internship is all about. So you're going to get to hear from two great guests that are great examples. We like to call them success stories. So I'm just super excited. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, you know, so I'm just going to say welcome. It's Ray Pryor, Uchechi Kalu. Thank you very much. They are products of the BLX internship program. They each went through the internship program, ended up getting a job out of it. And now we just want to hear their story and what they got going on and what they have as far as their vision for their career going forward. So welcome both. Ray. Thank you, Luis. I'm excited to be here. Chechi, thank you. Thank you both. Chechi, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about just how you got started. How'd you find out about BLX? What interests you in financial planning in general? My name is Uchechi Kalu, first of all. I'm an advisor at Abacus here in Santa Monica. And my story starts in China because I lived there for my first four years out of college. And I don't know about anyone else who's ever lived abroad, but my biggest fear was always running out of money. (laughs) (laughs) Because it happened once while I was studying abroad in college. And I was like, I was so terrified about this. So in those first years in China, I kind of took myself through a PhD in personal finance. I read all the books I could find, like, what does it mean to invest? What are stocks? What are bonds? What are ETFs? I found a Google document a few months ago that it was of like my goals for the year, like 2014. And the first one was become an investor. (laughs) (laughs) And so I saw how steadily investing over time in those years really changed my financial background and outlook. And then I remember coming back to the United States and I got my first paycheck and it was a really somber moment because I was working as a teacher and I looked at it and I told myself, oh, wow, the worst thing to be in America is a poor black woman. Because if I were to just think about inflation and think about where my paycheck is going to grow over time, by next year, I'm going to be paying the state to be alive because the math was not mathing. And I had taken a huge pay cut to come back to the United States and huge lifestyle changes. And it just didn't make that much sense. So I knew I wanted to get into a new career from that point, but I didn't know what it was. I did not know that financial planning was an actual career. I just started going online and I saw this article that was like, you want to be a financial planner? I was like, what? You can get paid for doing this thing? Something I've been doing for myself, obviously on a very different scale. And also for other people around me, helping them get out of debt, helping them get more clarity around money. So when I saw this was possible, I went down a rabbit hole. I picked up books. 
And I landed in a Facebook group, which is wild for me because I'm never on Facebook, like all millennials and later, you know, like we're just never on Facebook. And I saw someone post about the BLX internship. And I thought, well, this is for college kids, but it looked like it was for college kids. That was my impression. But I thought I have nothing to lose. I'm like in my late twenties. I want to try a new career. Let's just see where it goes. And I got placed with Abacus and literally the rest is history. It just, everything kind of worked out and fell into place. And probably about a month into my internship, they offered me a full-time job. And I thought, well, that's clutch. (laughs) So I've started working. I've been working now here for a year and it's been awesome. That's my journey. Love it. I'm not even going to go. I'm going to let Ray tell his story too. It's just (laughs) awesome when it works, right? When you put something together and you get to hear it work. And this is us getting to hear and see it work. But before I get to, let me go back up a little bit and give it to Ray. I appreciate that. And I'll be brief so we can get back into the powerful stuff. My journey of getting here kind of starts as a kid growing up with a single mom and anxiety about money was just a way of life. And as I kept growing up, I had personal finance on I like how you said it, Cheshi, that you gave yourself a PhD in personal finance. I obsessed over these things, reading and watching and YouTube and Instagramming everywhere I could find good content. I was doing that already. And I had a few family members who had businesses that they were building and wanting to be successful. And so before I even thought about being a financial planner, what my wife and I did was start a tax prep and bookkeeping business for our own family and friends, just because I take an accounting classes in college. And I saw that as a direct need from some of the people that we had. And that's what priority finance was. And as I'm sure y'all, y'all have, you know, different conversations with people around taxes. And I believe, Luis, you were also a tax preparer. And you still do a little bit I still as well. Yeah. Credits, deductions, 1040s and 1120s. Those are important conversations. But oftentimes they always lead into, a, yeah, Ray, this is great. I appreciate you helping me take care of this. But what should I be doing with my money? Where should I be investing? How should I set up my estate plan to pass things down to my family? And I realized that I was being asked questions that I wanted to be qualified to answer and got really excited about. But as a tax preparer and a bookkeeper, I just didn't have what I needed yet to really serve my community in the way I wanted to. So did another deep dive into the internet of financial planning, found FPA, was on a bazillion different newsletters. And my story of finding out about BLX is really one of of blessing and really divine, I think, because it was on one of my newsletters. It was in one email at the very, very bottom of the email in the PS section. And it had a little blurb, maybe two sentences about BLX and what it is. And I just think about how many emails we get, how many emails we don't open, how many emails we don't read all the way to the end. And I'm just really grateful for that moment. That's how I found BLX and a big part of why I got here today. That's awesome. I mean, I think about it. Don't be telling everybody we don't read the emails, right? Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, even you're on the grind, you don't have the time to read everything. You got to do it. Yeah. Thank God you read that one. As I'm just listening to the story, I just can't help but smiling, you know, looking at both of you, looking at you in the industry and us having something to do with that. I think that just watching you, listening to both of you, having the finance bug bite you, right? And now it's like, okay, now I got to find out everything that I need to know because one, I got to do this for myself. And then two, there's other people that I love that I want to help too. And I feel like I need to be fully equipped. And so like what you said there, Ray, when you're like, you know, I need to make sure that I could take care of the people. And I'm thinking about Uchechi, when you're talking about your journey, like you had quite the journey, you know, coming back and you said something that was really powerful and really resonated with me. You said you don't want to be a poor black woman. And I think that not necessarily you had the fear, but I think the fear of people just not having stuff really can be a force to get you 
going to get you started, to get you looking, to get you researching and to get you growing. And I think that I'm super happy that you both were able to find the program and we were able to help you in your career. Luis, I don't want to take it all, so I'm going to let you go ahead. I'm really excited about it. I absolutely, absolutely am. No, likewise. And, you know, speaking of black women, I was looking at the stats because I was doing working with NAPFA on diversity, equity and inclusion module. And I did some research and the wage gap for black women specifically is just insanely wide, even for black women with master's degree, it's like 63 cents on the dollar, you know, for somebody with the same qualifications for the white male counterpart, you know, it's insane. So since we're on that topic with Chechi, I know you did a very important project when you were an intern at Abacus that relates to Black women and financial planning. Can you tell us a bit about that research and what you found? Yeah. So during that project, what we wanted to know were basically two questions. One, what are things that keep Black women out of the financial planning industry? Then also, what are things that are calling them in at the same time? And we wanted to know this because I'm sure that there's great research out there, but anecdotally, Black women tend to be in charge of their households, either financially or just in a very positional way. If in a family unit, these would be the people I'd want to access first. And I'll also add that we both interviewed Black women and we also interviewed advisors. And the interviews for advisors were probably the most interesting. For Black women, we kind of got answers that you might presume people saying, Either, oh, I've just never heard of financial planning, or I don't necessarily trust advisors, or I would want someone who looks like me, or do I earn enough? Like these kind of things that I think you kind of hear across the board. But it was the interviews from advisors that were most fascinating because when we asked them, well, why aren't there Black women in the industry? There, a lot of responses were, well, they're just not enough. People don't earn that much. You know, in lack of better terms, like they're not good clients. And it reinforced what I felt that I was already not actually experiencing inside of Abacus, but we were able to access a lot of different people and have great conversations with them. And I think this was like a running thread of conversations of like, where are the Black ones? Can they even afford this? Are we a good fit for them? Are they going to like us? You know, stuff like this where I thought, no, you're just being lazy. Like you're actually and actively being lazy. And that was a kind of sad thing to see because although the industry definitely is changing and there are voices that are pushing the conversation forward to invite more diversity and equity into the field, it's still truly at the fringe. I was looking at a friend who works at a firm here in California and she's the only woman, period. Everyone else is just a white man between the ages of 65 and 30. And that is the most common thing that we see in the field. So. The research was both enlightening and slightly depressing. <laughs> God, if I'm going to be honest, it really was. And that's why I think internship programs like, like the BLX program are like laying stones for what the industry might look like 30 years from now. Yeah, that's definitely the goal. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. How about you, Ray? Did you get to work on any projects while you were doing your internship? Yeah, yeah, I definitely did. None as perhaps enlightening and depressing is Shechi's, but I did get to work on some great projects. So we're right now, I didn't even show this at the beginning, my apologies. I'm running operations for next-gen financial planning based out of San Diego. And from the moment that I joined through BLX to now, we just had a bunch of transitions and changes that we've been going through from 
a lot of changes to our tech stack, to custodian, to personnel. And I've kind of been the quarterback for a lot of those things. And so I kind of feel like I was just kind of thrown into to a fire and thrown into the water and learned how to swim. And I had a lot of help from them as well. But what really excited me about my role and what I've been really grateful for is being able to build new things and learn new things constantly rather than just coming into something and just executing as I'm told and just running the playbook. I've really been able to take a lot of ownership. So I'm really excited for that. I'm grateful. When we started this program and we were just trying to figure out what we wanted to do, one of the things that we said from the beginning was that people of color don't need handouts. I promise you, we don't need a handout. I said, all we need is an opportunity. Let us show you how great we are. It only took a month at Advocates and then they hired you. It only took, you know, a little while over here and you got hired. So what I think is the part that gets me excited is that as we continue to have this program and we continue to grow, it's going to be more of people that look like us getting into the industry and making immediate impact. It wasn't like they had to wait a long time to find out how good you were, Jesse. They knew as soon as they interviewed you, they're like, okay, when they got you over there, Ray, it was like, you're making impacts. Not only are you doing this, but you're doing something for the entire firm to make sure that they run operationally sound. They didn't put you in a position of, you know, off in the corner and just be like, oh, this is our charity case. Ain't no charity cases at BLX. We out here doing work. And this is the caliber of people. You two are examples of the caliber of people out there that the financial services industry needs. We need more of you and we have to have more of you. And I think as we continue to see the impacts of what you're doing in the industry, I think that it's going to be just even more impactful because if you two can tell two people and they can tell two people and they can tell two people, then we got, you know, I would do the math real quick. Hopefully Luis counted that. But if we did all that, you know what I mean? We will see the impact that we want to see. One thing that I want to talk to you about is what did you observe? And this is for each of you with money or about money growing up. Do you um, remember? I, you I don't know, know if she's still on TV. There was a woman called Susie Orman. Yeah. It was not. She's a, beloved by the profession, by the way. Is she? <laughs> no. Oh, Being sarcastic. Like, I know. I was like, is she? Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, my mom was obsessed with Susie Orman. I would call her the Nigerian Susie Orman, you know, without all the baggage of Susie Orman. But this is where my mom learned about money. And that's kind of how she passed it on to us. So there was some kind of financial conversation happening in our household. It was all about, you know, like save, 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 don't spend any money, which then tied into, you know, my family are immigrants and not every family has this mentality, but I know so many immigrant families that feel like they're strapped, even when they're not necessarily strapped for cash. And there's a feeling of scarcity. There's a feeling of not enough. There's a feeling of if my kid does not become a doctor tomorrow at age eight and a half, <laughs> we're going to have to pack up and go back to the village that we came from. And so I think there was a big feeling in my life that I just didn't have enough and that I would never have enough and that there was really no way to ever have enough or be comfortable or have any sanity around money. This was my introduction. I think China changed a lot of that for me because my quality of life was really high. My income was really high. And it was a place that felt people have different experiences. For me, it was very much a meritocracy. So all the racism that you have to deal with here, all the pressure to deal with here, proving yourself, all that stuff, I just didn't have to deal with it. And it was the first time in my life where I felt like I just relaxed and released and I could save and I could invest and I could travel and I didn't have to think about so many things. And so that experience kind of reoriented my mind around what was possible and kind of helped me change my money story. 
And what's been fascinating is that my mom recently retired and she was visiting me the other day here in Los Angeles. And she was like, you know, I kind of want to like deal with money a little bit more like you. You know, I'm going to be retired. I'm, she gets a pension. It's kind of like, I just want to spend a little bit, travel a little bit, enjoy myself. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> this is not the Susie Orman I grew up with. So I would just add that sometimes I think as we change, it allows other people to expand what their money story is as well. And I know a lot of people will feel like, oh my God, the way I grew up, I'm kind of stuck in this. But we're really not, you know, different experiences have to help you expand that definition. But I think it is definitely possible. I love that. Yeah, you know, and I think you make a great point about being able to leave behind that the scarcity mentality. I've had that as well, just being an immigrant from the Dominican Republic, where you go from survival mode to eventually seeing the possibilities, right? But it comes through, in my case, education. When we came to the U.S., my parents didn't speak English, neither did we didn't know anything about the U.S. financial system. And yeah, it was just a grind, right? Everybody had to work, pitch into the household. And it's one of the reasons why we required firms that participate in the BLX internship program to pay their interns, because I remember like myself, I couldn't afford not to work, right? So I couldn't just say, hey, this summer, I'm just going to go do an internship somewhere, you know, <laughs> to build on my resume because I had to work. But it took me a while to see the possibilities because growing up, you know, we were six kids, two parents, two grandparents, you know, and that there was always a cousin on here and there. So at any given point, it was like 10 to 12 people in a one bedroom apartment, you know, and it was just survival mode. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I see that as a common thread a lot with immigrants where that mentality is hard to break away from sometimes and it manifests itself. Even when people start making money, it doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden they'll switch off, right? So it's very important, yeah, to continue education. I'm, I'm glad to hear your mom is like now finally, like, hey, I'm, I'm a travel, man. I'm going <laughs> to enjoy myself too. Because, you know, that's the one key thing that I find sometimes that financial planners in general might not be looked at favorably because people might think, oh, it's all about just saving the most amount of money, right? It's not really. It's quality of life is really important. So it's about how to live a purposeful life and enjoy yourself while also making sure you're taking care of tomorrow and building generational wealth, you know? So thank you for sharing that. Ray, tell us your money story. What was it like growing up? Yeah, I'll definitely get into that. I just really appreciated the part that y'all just discussed in that. I think when you take in personal finance content on the internet, normally that aspect isn't talked about. Normally it's a lot of, we're being frank, it's a lot of shaming people on what they're doing with their money and that they need to do differently. And if you just did this, then our communities would be here and our families would be here. And I'm still working through a lot of that undoing the survival mode and, and undoing and have family members who I know are still have a ways to go. So I think that's as much part of the battle as what we do and where we put our money and things like that. That resonated with me a lot. In terms of my own money story, I always felt like I sat in a really weird position as a kid. Shortly after I was born, maybe when I was in elementary school, my mom went to school to be a nurse. And so Growing up, she just worked ridiculously crazy hours working multiple jobs. And I would stay with other family members and grandparents a lot just because she was working so much. And so I kind of grew up as a kid who didn't want to ask for things, didn't want to be too much, didn't want to be a burden just because I saw how much she was doing. And then, you know, just in little things that we would do that even to this day, even though I have no reason I need to, I still grab the store brand at the grocery store before I grab the name brand. <laughs> it's a reflex now. You know, I always keep coupon, always 
are looking for we you know and it's, it's just how i was wired and in the way that that i grew up and so that was just always thinking about that money is is extremely scarce as y'all shared about that money is not something we play around with and we don't waste it on things that don't really matter and aren't needed but at the same time my mom at that point had a college education and so and and she was able to provide a stability that i saw that my friends at school didn't have i saw that other places in the community or even just in our own apartment complex that our apartment looked way different than what I saw from my friends. And so it kind of put me in this weird position of both understanding that I had to be wise with whatever I was blessed to have, but also a position of knowing that I was fortunate and knowing that I wanted to be a resource for other people. And so I'm really blessed to sit kind of in between that. That's part of what inspired me to want to go down this path of being a financial planner and an advisor is because I knew that, especially after going to college with a lot of wealthy kids, I knew I could speak the language of both. I knew I could understand that I could pick where I wanted to sit in my life. I could pick and be the driver behind whatever I wanted to be. But a lot of the roots for that were stories that sound like not all that different than, than y'all's, you know? And so we're all just trying to build a life that looks a lot different than where we came from. Absolutely. What I'm hearing is the scarcity mindset, right? I heard you say something about money scripts and Chechi, and then you're talking about your past coming up. And I guess the follow-up question is, how did you transition or have you transitioned yet into more of an abundance life, a more of an abundance mindset? And when you find yourself going back and forth in that, what do you do? How do you get through that? You know, mentally, emotionally, physically, when you're at the store and it's getting ready to buy the great value or the you know, store <laughs> brand stuff, right? And then it's like, wait, hold on. I'm in a little different situation than I was before. Now, I, if I want to spend that extra money on this, it's not so much about the money, it's about the mindset. So talk to me about how you transition or how you navigate those feelings, like when you're in the middle of that, because those are real life feelings. Oh, this is a good one. I think it's a verb. It's like a present continuous navigating. How am I navigating this? Because in our work, we deal with people of so many different networks, but people's net worth do not look like mine. And there are times when I'm working with clients and I feel so small. Like financially, I'm like, I don't know why I would ever have $2 million. Like, I don't know why that would ever happen. And that's not like a lack of abundance. It's just like, that's just not what my life and world looks like. <laughs> and so there are so many times throughout the day where I'm like, oh, Judge, are you okay? Should you have more? Should you be working harder? And it actually gets me down. And then there are other times where I'm able to let it go a bit more. But I think how I try and orient myself is around a different question. It's not actually about a dollar sign. It's more about what do I want my life to look like? I'll tell you a story. I, before I came to Abacus, I spent six months in Lebanon because I taught myself Arabic. So I was going off to Lebanon to like hang out and speak Arabic with locals and also make friends or whatever. Sometimes I do stuff like this. I'm like, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to go over there. And then I go there and I stay there for half a year. And right now Lebanon is going through an economic collapse. I mean, like to the point where I was with friends, we were trying to go get gas for our car. We waited in a line for two hours. We got to the actual station and they just said, no more gas for today. So you're like, what do I do? Or times where we're trying to get bread, actual bread, flour and water. There's no more bread in the country. There's no more water in the country. And this is a country that used to be very, very uh, privileged economically compared to others in the world. And so living in that and seeing friends who like, they can't leave. 
it's not like the U.S. passport. You just get up and go and you go back to your home in California, whatever. Like you can't leave. You have a finite amount of money. It made me think about a different question of, Chachi, if nothing ever changed in your life, you never got a raise. Nothing ever changed. Are you okay? Are you okay with like what you have right now? How can you appreciate what you've been given? And it actually transformed a lot for me because now I'm able to look at the world around me and say, wow, my life is really abundant. I have a great apartment. I have a really great life. I have a good job. I have wonderful friends. I feed myself every day. <laughs> I have a wonderful gym. I look around, I'm like, this actually, if it never changed, it's enough. And in that way, my life feels so incredibly full. And I'm hoping that as things continue to grow financially, that I'm able to like really root myself in what is most important. So that's how I manage the feelings of insecurity that I, <laughs> that I see when I'm like $10 million. Oh, and they're spending a million dollars a year and they feel like they're broke. I'm like, oh my God. You know, I just try to remember like, actually I'm doing okay. And that's enough. Sounds like gratitude to me. I think that would cover that, right? Gratitude. Oh, I, it's, a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of things. Gratitude is one of them. I feel lucky. You know, we live here in Los Angeles. A lot of people live in the street. And I think sometimes we don't realize how close we are to being in that position. Like one medical situation, one death, one job loss. And it could just be a whole other thing. And so I try not to get too blinded by the numbers I see on the screen. And I'm like, I could be here, I could be in economic collapse, or I could be here, I could be living on the street, or I could have been in a different family. Like it just could have been a very different situation. So maybe gratitude is the word. <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. I remember, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Uchechi, because believe it or not, to this day, I still thank God, right, for like the basic stuff. Like this morning, I was like, hey, I have electricity, you know, running water, you know, because when I grew up, it wasn't always the case. I couldn't go to my shower and just turn it on. I had to go outside, get a bucket, come back into the house. You know, electricity would be gone for three days at a time. We couldn't keep anything in the fridge because it will spoil. We couldn't afford a generator, right? So to this day, right, like I, that's still ingrained in me. I'm like, hey, man, I live in LA. You know, I have a car, I have AC, right? I, <laughs> just the basic stuff. I'm like, man, I'm blessed. You know, and it's okay to still want more, right? But I feel like recognizing that what you have is, like you said, Uchechi, are you okay? It doesn't make you feel as small because I can relate to that as well. I've worked on financial plans for some people that I'm like, whoa, looking at this net worth, $10 million. And, and I'm like, <laughs> should I be advising this person about money? You know, because, whoa, okay, here's where I'm at, right? And then Ray, I wanted to go back to you as well. When you were saying your story about the store brand, I remember we used to buy like the cornflakes, right? With the rooster mm -hmm. on it. Tony mm -hmm. the Tiger, that was like way, way out right. there, man. That was, mm -mm. I would mm -mm. just throw the sugar on it, you know? Girl, I was going to say, better put a, some sugar on them flakes. <laughs> you talking about? With sugar on the flakes. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting how the mentality sometimes can also go the other way, right? So I've seen it the way you're doing it now. And it's funny because when we did the retreat, the BLX Founders retreat recently, Chloe, another one of our co-founders, she was saying like, oh, I want to treat myself to this nice hand soap. You know, we were at the Altra's headquarters and they had this nice hand soap in the bathroom. And to her, even though she could afford even more than that, right? That's her splurge. Like, oh yeah, I just, we were just laughing about it. Like, instead of buying the store, she's like, I'm going to treat myself to this nice smelly hand soap, you know? 
And then I've seen people that go the other way with the extreme and they say, hey, you know, I never had this growing up. So now I'm just going to like go the opposite way and just I work hard. I deserve it. I'm going to get the expensive car and the trips and all that, which is fine, too. But sometimes get you to a point you're neglecting the future that you should probably be focusing on as well. So that you, when you get to that retirement place, you didn't just spend it all throughout the years, right? So it's kind of hard to find that balance. So thank you for sharing that with Chachi. I think gratitude is a great way to do that as well. How about you, Ray? Yeah, I don't really don't have much else to add. Gratitude is it, knowing that you're lucky to be where you are. And I think how you reach those conclusions is uh, staying grounded, staying close to your roots. You know, like I'm not far removed from any of those realities that I thought were going to be my life. And even though, you know, we may sit on meetings with clients and see their crazy net worth, the moment the Zoom meeting goes off, nothing's changed in terms of my family and, and the people I know. And so that helps me stay grateful and help me thinking about them always. And to your question, Emlyn, about how do you not necessarily undo, but I guess evolve from only having a scarcity mindset and getting a bit more balance. I have no crazy solution, but my magic, I guess, potion, if you will, is my wife. She has helped me unpack a lot and she's wrapping up her master's to become a therapist. And so we are constantly talking about all kinds of things that needed to be unpacked from our childhoods, money being one of them. And I think that's why I was really attracted to the financial planning profession overall is because if all you do is read content and try to figure out what you're going to do all on your own, you don't really have anybody who's sitting here unpacking why you're doing what you're doing and, and helping you realign back to the values that you said that you really have when maybe your nature is leaning you back towards a life that you don't need to live anymore. Or like you're saying, I know a ridiculous amount of folks who grew up with nothing and now, you know, nicest car and a lot more shoes than they ever could even wear if they wanted to change them every minute. Everything is there. And then eventually that's going to lead to them not having really what they want. You need somebody to work through that. That's not really financial. That's emotional, you know? And so that's why I'm really excited about the work that y'all are doing. The work of this profession overall is because it's not really just saving more, investing in all these other stuff, it's really a lot of healing internally that I still have yet to do. And then a lot of us still have yet to do to get where we need to be. And then the money is kind of just a, a byproduct of that. You know, if we, we align ourselves with who we say we are and we have support to do that, I think the financial planning stuff becomes the easy part. To that point, Ray, I think it's on us as advisors or those in the field to do that work for ourselves so that we can do that for our clients. I also see it go the other way of advisors be like, you know, I'm not really comfortable going there. I don't really know how to go there. And I'm like, oh, that's a red flag. So let's try, let's try work that out. <laughs> so to really to this point of like this internal work that we don't have to do, but I think is really quite fulfilling. It then translates to what we can do in the industry. And if we're thinking about financial planning as just the plan, which at the end of the day, honestly, it's always going to be some version of earn more, spend less. Like, <laughs> can make it look, can make it look really fancy, but like that's kind of what's going to happen if we want to have these deeper conversations of why and where are you and what do you value, which is what we do a lot of at Abacus. Then that internal work yourself has to be paramount in your own life. Yeah, there's a growing field of financial therapy. It's a real thing. Absolutely. There's so much to unpack. Thank you both for sharing your stories. I wanted to ask you as well for the interns that are listening or potential interns, whether it's a student or career changer, what advice would you have for them? 
as they start their own journey into financial planning? I'll start with you, Chechi. I think number one, I recommend people to like go live their life. First of all, I'm a very unconventional financial planner. I've had so many different careers. It's been both in America and Asia and the Middle East. And that informs how I show up in front of people. So if you feel like you're also drawn to X, Y, and Z, go do those things because you are going to be interacting with so many different people, so many different walks of life that having your own life really allows people to become more comfortable and like relax. And it also really helps you empathize with them. You know, we've been talking about this conversation about people's different money habits. And I think for me, having lived around the world for the majority of my 20s, it informed me that life can go in like a million different ways. We're just living a version of it. And there are really a million other versions. And so when people come in front of me and I don't understand the version of life they're living, I'm like, well, I just don't live in your multiverse, but like, that's okay. I know that in a very felt sense because I've seen that. So that would be the first one. The second one, really practically look for financial planning firms that are B Corps, if that matters to you, because those are ones, especially maybe if you're a person of color and most firms are not run by people of color. So I think you're more likely to land with a firm that might more likely align with your values. The third one would be to attack people and make them your mentors. <laughs> like I have an attacker's mindset. I will make people a part of my life. And this has been really fruitful and valuable because I do work at basically all white company. We have some people of color, but if I look at broad strokes, it is an all white company. And so there are just times where I'm like, I just need a different perspective on something that's happening internally, or I need a wider perspective of what's happening in the field. And it helps orient me and reorient me around what I actually want to do, even if I don't see that currently reflected in the work that I'm doing or in the scope that I have access to. So these are the three things I would recommend for an Thank you. Powerful. How about you, Ray? And that was good advice even for me on the other end of the, the internship. I appreciate that. Good advice for, for all of us. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. For me, the biggest piece of advice and biggest blessing that BLX has been for me is that I had no idea what the financial planning world and industry had to offer. And there's so many different lanes you could land in, so many different ways of doing this, so many different ways of impacting your community that you can have. I came in thinking that I wanted to be a lead advisor and knew that doing operations and pair planner is often a part of that progression. And then fell in love with that stuff and obsess over systems and processes and how we can help grow firms and expand this advice to even more people. And that was nowhere on my radar when I applied. And so I think that what's most important is your interest, your curiosity, your hunger to want to know more, but don't feel like you need to plan too far ahead. Don't feel like you need to know exactly where you're going to be at the end of this internship since I had no idea what, what was going to happen, but you should just dive in anyway. The end result shouldn't be the reason why you do it because you have no idea what that can be, but the possibilities are nearly endless. That's what I would share with the next cohorts to come. That's powerful stuff. I like that. Possibilities are endless. <laughs> so true. Sometimes you think something's going to go one way and it completely goes way different than you thought, or maybe even better than you ever even imagined. And I think that happened to us with the BLX internship program in and of itself. When we met recently for the founders meeting, and we were just looking at how this has evolved from when Emlyn first called me, hey, bro, <laughs> I got this idea, man. 
you down, you know, and, and we started talking and I'm like, wow, look where we are today. Like the amount of people that have gone through the program, the sponsors, the firms that are involved, it's just amazing to us just to see how it's developed. So I get exactly what you're saying. So now I'm open to way more possibilities than I ever thought were possible. And I think that goes from the, having the attitude of gratitude and also being okay with wanting more, thinking bigger as well. So you can be satisfied where you are, but you can also want more at the same time without feeling depressed about it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I think when I was listening to you both speak and what I was thinking about, you know, the opportunities and about the journey, you think about putting together a financial plan. You got the seven steps. If you're doing the CFP stuff, you got all these steps. And I think that it is easy for us to be so goal oriented that we lose track of who we're becoming on this journey. And I think that's what I'm hearing you both say, like, stay in contact with this journey because the journey is what you're here for, not the end destination. I don't know if it's going to be an advisor. I don't know if you're going to be a fund manager. I don't know if you're going to be an operations person. I don't know if you're going to be working compliance, but this journey is where it's at. And along this journey, you're going to meet wonderful people. Along this journey, you're going to have some good times along this journey. You're going to have some times where you might feel a little depressed. And then I promise you, if you ever start your own firm, then you'll have, there's a whole set of emotions that come when you're an entrepreneur that are different from the ones that come as a financial advisor. But what I'm saying is I'm saying all that to say, this is just fall in love with the journey. If you were trying to become a financial professional, I'll say that because if you want to come in and you want to be a financial professional, you can go anywhere in finance. Like there's so many different things that you can do. And Thank you both for sharing of your time, energy, and effort. I know the firms are completely flattered, happy to have you, excited that you were there, and, and we were excited that we could be a part of that. When you start the program, like, like Luis was talking about, it was just an idea. And to see both of you embody the idea and take it even bigger than what we thought, like I'm just sitting here listening to you, I was like, these are the people that are coming through the program. The industry is in good hands. The industry is going to be in good hands. Well said. Yeah. Thank you both for sharing your stories and your time. It's been amazing. I'm uh, very happy to meet both of you. And Uchechi, now that we're like probably 10 minutes away, uh, I'd love to <laughs> meet up sometime for sure. Yeah, when I'm back, we'll hang out. And Ray, so are you physically in San Diego? No, I'm in Texas. Clearly, I'm missing out on something that's going on over on the West oh, Coast. I'm on my way over there. <laughs> please, please yeah. join us. Yeah, come down to the headquarters one day and, you know, we're not too far, man. Zero humidity. <laughs> Zero humidity. That one. Did you hear me? No humidity <laughs> out here, Ray. What is going man, on? I know. It's, yeah, it's Ray, breaking Ray. me. <laughs> yeah, this is where it's at, for sure. <laughs> well, thank you both. Really appreciate it. Very happy to have met you both. I'm excited to see where your careers go from here. How can people find you if they want to connect with you? If you don't mind, would you share the social media or anything that, that you're doing? I know, Ray, you have a podcast, right, of your own? Yeah, yeah. I'm in the process of revamping it. Yeah, Priority Pod is me and my wife uh, spelled like my last name, P-R-Y. And then LinkedIn. I'm not really a social media guy, so LinkedIn is, is primarily the only thing I'm on. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're doing. All right. Where do the professionals play? <laughs> we will share your LinkedIn profile. No problem. I heard this and I was like, this is just funny because I don't know if you guys have Instagram or if anybody has Instagram. I just got to say it because I've been seeing yeah. this one all the time. And it's like, add me, you know, add me, add me on your social media. People from work be like, add me, add me. He's like, no, nah, big dog. I can't add you to my social media. Thank you. Like, can't do it. No. 
Or if you do, you got to have a finsta, right? There's such a thing. Oh, yeah. Fuck, yeah. Oh, like, have like your public facing one and, and like your real one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they're, although it's completely public, anyone could access it there. It still feels like mine. Like my Instagram is mine. You can't have it. So you can find me on LinkedIn, send me a message. I'll hit you up. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. We're happy to share those. Well, thank you both again. Much appreciated. Emily, take us away. Well, you know, like Louise said, thanks for both of you for coming on and, and sharing your time with us. And as you all know, this is the Diversity in Action podcast. I am your co-host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly with Luis Rosa. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Diversity in Action podcast. To learn more about the BLX internship program and sign up for our newsletter, please visit our website at blxinternship.org.